Ghost Chats. Man, I really was just looking for an excuse to meet cool people and have fun conversations. That was kind of it. And we're doing it, Caleb. Yeah, man. Uh, Caleb is a financial advisor. He's actually my financial advisor. And we are coroned up in this quarantine world. We are six feet apart right now. And I think that's the, that's the thing that they're telling us to do. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, we're six feet apart. But we are, I wanted to talk to Caleb a little bit about the markets is so volatile right now, right? Stuff's changing so much. Stuff's moving. Everybody's like, the whole thing is, right? Like, sell high, buy low. But but when it's down, everyone's like, oh, where should we do? And so I was like, let's talk to Caleb because as soon as you hear investing, stock market, a lot of people's brains just, right? Like they're done. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm bored. I'm bored with it. Yeah. So what I want to do is try not to talk over people's heads. So I'm going to ask you really, really maybe simple, maybe stupid questions. Sure. But, um, yeah, I know there's some stuff that you were like, hey, I, I want to share some cool stuff with you and whatnot. So tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into the finance game. What, what, how did you get here? Uh, I don't know what it was. I think uh, just growing up, it always fascinated me. Um, I, looking at the stock market and just the broad picture of what that was, what Wall Street was, what, you know, how Americans – invest money and make money and just just money in general we didn't come from much i guess and i think it was kind of a um not that we were poor by any means but you know i mean it wasn't you know something that we uh knew a ton about you always hear about wall street and it's in movies and stuff and people like screaming at each other on the floor and you're like what what is that i think most people especially in like election cycles you hear about like oh he's owned by wall street Right. And it's like, I don't even know what that means. I think it has a bad uh, mantra, I guess. I, I think the general population thinks that Wall Street and True. Yeah, associate you, it with bad and corruption. Crooked, corruption. And, yeah. um, and, and I think that goes on and just like with any uh, entity, I guess, or any kind of product or service or sure. anything. Any, anytime people are involved, yeah, you can pretty Somebody can get in money. there. One bad apple. I mean, yeah. Anytime so, people and money are involved, there's going to be somebody trying to like stack the deck, right? You know, like people can't even play Monopoly, right, yeah. without someone trying to cheat. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So, and that's fake money, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's just pride money. Like, that, that doesn't even count. Right? But yeah, for me, I mean, I studied accounting and finance, and I think, uh, and I love all the accountants that I know and do business with, and um, you know, share clients with. But for me, that just wasn't my my path. I think, and. Um, so I so you actually it. were trained in like accounting, CPA, stuff like that. Yeah, so I was on track to be a CPA. Um, and then... That was his cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> probably questions more than likely. Whoops. Yep. Uh, but, you know... You said I you was, were on track to what? I was on track to be a CPA and just go that whole route. Did you, um, you graduate? I did, yeah. So I finished yeah. with an accounting degree. Okay. Um, and... So you are a numbers person. You like to... You yeah. Like to- yeah. Yeah, I always have been, I, I guess... Uh, but it always fascinated me, like I said, and, and I think for me, I'm also generally just like to help people. Um, you and your brother are so similar in that way because one of the things, uh, your brother is Matt Wiles, my best friend. Yeah. But what's funny is there's two types of people in the world. There's people who, and that's why I tell Matt, and he makes fun of me, as I say, the people who like numbers, they like resolution, right? Like one of my friends, she's an accountant, she's a CPA, and she's like, 
I don't like to call myself an accountant. I like to call myself a numbers detective. She yeah. said, because at the end of the day, you get to solve the case because numbers cannot lie to you. Exactly. She was like, you, ha- you can only look at them. And if something's missing, you have to figure out what's missing. But there's obviously something's missing. If you have two plus two plus blank equals six. Right. You know what it is. You know what you're looking for. And she was like, it's a, it's a definite thing. Whereas there's people like me. I told Matt, I was like, Matt, you see the world in numbers. I see the world in colors. Right. I was like, everything seems kind of like relative and beautiful and he's like that's so stupid <laughs> but it's so funny that you're you're like i like numbers because you are kind of a more of a definite person factual yeah it's just that's the thing it's factual there's no you know listening to this opinion and that opinion it is very much uh factual you know yeah I mean, like this yeah. it is what it is and it's uh to me, I grasped that a lot better than I guess in college writing papers and having an opinion on something because I could I could give you my opinion on something in a probably two sentences, you know. I mean, I don't have to. Yeah, it's true. Rant yeah. and rave them very quick to the point. Like, hey, this is this is how this works. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, that's that's been something that's interesting about you working with you as a, you know, this is my first time. I've never had a financial advisor right. other than you. So like meeting with you. And you're very matter of fact. You're very, you're not pushy with any of the stuff. You're just like, hey, here's this how this how this works. This how this works. It's your decision. And I'm like, I need to be coddled a little bit. Like I need you to kind of like, I don't know, give me some feels. And you're like, well, here's the numbers on this, and this is what this looks like. But one of the things that you said to me was, and you can get into whatever you want to get into. I know that you've prepared some stuff, so feel free to dive in. Sure. But one of the things that you kind of like, I don't want to say change the way that I thought about it, but. I don't know how stocks work. Like, I don't know what it's like, but you kind of showed me there's a difference between buying stocks and buying financial products. Yep. And I was like, wait a minute, aren't they stocks? And you're like, well, kind of. And when you explained to me the way that that you, what's the difference between like somebody who just buys stocks versus somebody who sells financial products and you, you don't sell individual stocks. Right. I you sell not. financial products. What's the difference? And, and for somebody yeah. who's listening, who's like, I don't even know. Like, I get bored with it. I'm overwhelmed. It seems risky. I don't know. Right. What 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 would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, sure. I think, um, and you're, you're entirely correct when you say that I don't sell stock individual stocks. I just, f- for me, uh, you know, most of the work that I do is more about managing wealth and the, the wealth is already there. The cash is already raised. Um, and for us, it's, it's more about mitigating the risk and minimizing taxes. Right. And, uh, so for us, it, it's just a different approach. Um, I guess than your typical stockbroker. So, um, so do I have to have money to need a financial advisor? Do I have to have accrued a, a chunk of wealth or can I start, with you. Sure. So you can definitely start. Yeah. I mean, um, I am more than happy to help somebody who is motivated, willing, and, uh, you know, is a good student that wants to start. You know, I think for me, that is, uh, you know, they are especially fun for me in seeing how excited they get about starting something, right? And, sure. And especially how motivated if they really are that kind of person, those are the kind of people that I want to work with. Um, you know, especially on that end. And so then somebody I'm, who's like, maybe, maybe I can only spare a hundred dollars a month or right. 75 or 500, wherever you start, you're like, 
hey, let me let me talk to you and get you a plan together. Right. Let me let me help you. Obviously, the best case scenario is you've got a million dollars set in the bank and you want to know what to do with it. Sure. Yeah. And that, that's it, your ideal client, right? Yeah. I mean, those are the most uh, the people that we can really you know add value to. I think, um, but that doesn't mean that we can't help people that are just now getting started. Um, you know, like me. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, you're a special case, uh, you know, especially in the, in the sense that you're a business owner and, sure. you know, so those, is, those startup businesses, things like that. I'm are, 35. Are I just bought my first house at 34. I'm a, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to that stuff. But. Yeah. But you've seen the world. You've done so many cool things. It's, it's unreal, but, um, you know, we are happy to help anyone and everyone when it comes to those things. All I ask is that if you are coming in as a, you know, a first timer, um, is that you just trust what I say, because the Oof, more, yeah, you know, and that's the, <laughs> huff, and that's the toughest part. You know, I think when it comes to just finances and money in general is, is building trust, um, uh, with someone and just knowing that they are really looking out and doing what's right and doing what's best for you. Um, you know, because your your thought is, I'm about to hand you a bunch of money, right? When it might not be a bunch, but it's a bunch but to, to me. That's yeah, right. It's a ton of money. That's exactly right. And you're about to take a little cut, and it may right. not perform, and I may right. just lose it. I might right. as well just take the hundred dollars and go buy something fun. Right. And that's right. And I think a lot of people run from things that they don't understand. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, and and it it makes sense, you know. I mean, uh, the more that you don't comprehend exactly why you should do something right then then why do it let's talk about that what's the difference if i was to say talk to me like i am a third grader yeah what is the difference between a financial um product yeah and an individual stock sure so i mean financial product is a very broad range term so i mean it could be many things but i guess what we could talk about that i think people have maybe have heard of bef- before would be um most people that work at a job, let's say, especially in the middle Georgia area, the lar- you know one of the larger employers uh, would be the hospital, or the Air Force Base, or YKK, or Geico, or you know some of these uh, Amazon coming in. Some of these companies, most of them have a four hundred one k or four hundred three b. Sure. Or four hundred three b is for a nonprofit, right? Yeah. So it would be for you know government, um, educational uh, facilities, things of that nature. So. Most uh, most people own something inside of that 401k, and most people that I have talked to... When you to, say something inside of that 401k... That's what I was about to say. Yeah, exactly. what is it? Yeah. So most people own a portion of a mutual fund inside of a 401k. So mutual fund is typically the word that we... Um, that is, that's the key word you're looking for there is a mutual fund. So, So what is a mutual fund? Sure, so a mutual fund basically is a professionally managed portfolio of stocks, bonds, okay, and so let me, other let financial me, products. Let me explain it, and you tell me where I'm wrong, okay. because I feel like I'm probably on par with most of the listeners that are like, okay, those are words, and I know they mean something, <laughs> and I know that people use those words a lot, right. but I don't know that I fully grasp what they mean. Okay, so a mutual fund is a group of stocks. So let's say I had $100, I could buy $100 worth of Apple stock, or I could buy $25 worth of Apple, $25 worth of Microsoft, $25 worth of Dell computers, 
$25 or 25 of HP computers. And then that would be considered like a tech mutual fund. And so I'm not just, my $100 is in tech, is in a tech fund, but it's not specifically in one individual stock. It's kind of diversified in order to mitigate risk. So if Apple has a really great year, but HP doesn't have a really great year, I don't lose everything because all my stock is not just in, or all my money is not just in one stock. It's actually in a mutual fund. And the mutual fund has my $100 split four ways into four different stocks. Is that how a mutual fund works? In a lot of ways, yes. That's okay. a that's a pretty good uh, explanation. So, um, you know, if you just, when you think about mutual funds, what I want you to think about is instead of you or I trying to figure out um, what companies to buy, Right. So what companies do we invest in that we see if a, we were buying individual stocks, individual stocks, okay. a large potential for growth in the coming years? How do we know if they have a large potential for growth in the coming years? I think that's where most people are is they're like, I have a, like, let's say that you're a, a little bit further down the road. You're in your 50s and you do have some cash. You do have, let's say, 25,000, 30,000, whatever laying around that you're like, you know what, I probably should take this out of a, a savings account that's getting me 0.25% interest. I would like my money to work for me, but I don't know how to pick winners and I don't know how to trust somebody to say, here's 30 grand. I don't want to lose any of it. Right. You know, so like, I think people get scared. Sure. Actually, I don't think I know because I'm one of them. Right. That's like, okay, I don't know how to pick a winner, but you're saying, hey, we actually diversify, and you hear that like diversify your portfolio, and it's like. But you're saying that mutual funds are a financial tool that mitigate risk, and that's something you said in the beginning was you help people who kind of have some money to mitigate mitigate their risk and help them with taxes and how to move money and allocate things like that. But for somebody who's looking to maybe start, who's my age, the benefit of a financial product is that you're mitigating those risks and you're helping them or even you're not helping them. You're actually doing it for them. Picking a, like here's seven companies that we really like. Right. Maybe not all do really well this quarter. Right. But five of them will. Is that kind of how it works? It could be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is kind of how it works. How a mutual fund works. That's right. Okay. It is. So, um, you are like you are buying into a professionally managed portfolio, and most of those portfolios, not all of them, but most mutual funds, is, is the ones that the major top rated gold star, uh, you know, oh, five okay, star sorry, this rated just funds. For me, so make sure I get make sure I'm understanding this right. When I invest with, and you're with Northwestern Mutual, that's correct. When I invest with you, I'm not picking people who I think will win or lose or whatever. What I'm saying is I'm buying into a portfolio that somebody who is really smart is managing. Yes. I'm basically, and typically that portfolio consists of billions of dollars inside of it. Oh, so that's how it works. So basically it's some guys sitting at a table and yeah, yeah, let's say that it's five guys, 10 guys, 20 guys, who knows, Right. but it's some investors who have a bunch of information and they're saying, we have $5 billion at our disposal. Let's, let's decide how to invest this. So when you go with somebody like you and you buy a financial tool like a mutual fund, you sit down, and I know that you did a, a, an assessment with me. Right. 
you said, how risky do you want to be? You're young. You should probably risk a lot. Right. Because one of the things that you said that stuck to me was this. You said, look at the market. And you looked at it from 19, was it 10, 20, something like that. And you're like, it was doing great. It crashed. But over a hundred year period, it's up. And over any 30 year period, it's up. Right. And you, one of the things you said was that time in the market is more important than how much you put in. Yeah. I mean, arguably it is for sure. (laughs) And, and, And what I would say to that is if you would just, uh, go from 1980 to 2010, okay? 1980 to 2010. Let's say you start off with $10,000 in 1980. Okay. And you just bought the index, okay? What and, is, and, when you say bought the index, what is that? Yep. So the index would be basically a collection of the top companies in the country, okay, in America. Okay, so let's say that. So in America, the top companies is a collection of them. Okay. Like the Fortune so the 500. So S&P 500, or, okay. right? So let's the say top 500 S&P companies. 500, that's right. So let's say you bought that. Okay, you put $10,000 in there. Okay. In 2010, even weathering, okay, that is with the so let me make sure I got tech this. boom of the 90s. I don't want to keep interrupting you, sure. but I want to make okay. sure I'm getting this. When you say bought into the index, you mean there is a financial product that is mutual funds-ish yep. that you buy into and you say, hey, I want to be in the top... S&P 50 or top 100 best companies in America, yeah. I want my money to be kind of allocated across the spectrum in that world. Right. Okay. So that way you're not actually saying, hey, I want to, I want uh, all my money in Sears or all my money in Circuit City or right. you know all these companies that seem to be doing well but disappeared. Right. You're saying that you can, you can invest in a portfolio, which is a, a, an, into a financial product that mm-hmm. is strictly in the top 100 companies. In the United States. And if you did that in 1980, what would happen? So $10,000 starting in 1980, going, going through the tech boom of the 90s, going through the financial crisis of 2008, um, going through, we, we wouldn't say there was necessarily a pandemic, but there were some other things that happened during that time. Um, you know, the swine flu and some different scares that were out there, Ebola and things like that. Going through all of that in 2010, that ten thousand dollars would be worth one hundred forty-five thousand forty dollars in cash today. Today or two thousand ten. So from nineteen eighty to two thousand ten. And I just wanted, to, and the reason I used those dates is because it included a, a large boom in the nineties, sure, and then a, a large crash in two thousand eight, right before I report the number. So that's why I want so to say, even with the market correction, thirty years, two thousand eight. 30 years, just leaving $10,000, just leaving it is now 145000 plus of cash. So if you were able to save $10,000 in 1980 and you just said, hey, I'm going to put this in the S&P 5, in the index, the S&P 500, in a mutual fund that was you know, dispersed across it, you would 30 years later have $140,000 worth. 145000 yeah. 145. yeah. So that's one of the things that like, you know, how much money do I have? And it's like, well... The one of the things that you said to me and you brought in, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but you, you brought him in and it was really for me to be 33 at the time when we had that meeting, you just need to get in, yeah. just get in. And the thing was I did get in, I got in during, you know, kind of the Trump booming yep. time, which I knew I was buying high. Right. But the reality is if you're looking at a 30 year window, just get in. 
That's right. And that was one of the things that you, you know, you were saying, obviously things have crashed now. Um, so any investment I made three years ago, I'm, I'm probably negative. Right. But if you're looking at it at a 30 year return versus, and I think that's one of the things where people do need someone like you to coach to say, what's your return? Because sure. I know that, you know, someone who's 60 who's saying, Hey, I need a 10 year return. Mm-hmm. That's a much different, much different mutual funds, different portfolio that you're buying into. And that's the difference. If I could, if I could stress the thing, if you're listening, the difference between financial products and stocks, right? I know there's like the Robin hood and TD Ameritrade and, uh, E-Trade and all these things that like encourage you to go out there on your own. And most people are like, I don't know what I'm doing. Here's what I did. Someone told me like, Hey, you should get in the stock market. So I took $500 and I was like, let me look into what I'm going to do. And I went into AIB, right? I just, I went on like Finviz and like all these random financial websites. And I was like, let me see, let me see what I can do here. So I found this uh, Irish banking crisis in 2009. There you go. Yeah. And no, 2010, 11, something like that. Anyways, it was this Allied Irish Bank, AIB, is their trading thing. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy all in on that. And here's what happened. I put $500 into AIB stocks. And it was on a Monday. Friday, the uh, Irish legislature or whatever was going to determine whether they were going to bail out that bank or not. And I was like, of course they're going to bail out the bank, just like everybody else is doing. They announced Friday that they would not bail out the bank. My stock went down to $200. My $500 turned into $200. So I sold. I was like, get out. (laughs) Run. Run while you can. Run. So I got out. I saved my $200. It was like Monday or Tuesday of the next week. The legislature reconvened and decided to bail out the bank. And my $500 would have been $1,500. That's right. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, yep. It feels like the Wild West. It yep. feels like a casino where you're, you, you have no idea. And people who don't know better, they don't know what to do. And you, nobody likes to lose money. Most people don't have a stomach for it. Right. I'm one of those people. Like, I, go to, I went to Vegas and I had no fun with betting because... When I put twenty dollars down and lose it, I want to throw up, right? Because I hate losing money. Right? Like, it's not fun for me, <laughs> and so that's the difference between you know if you're throwing the ball down the field thirty years, then there the rules are different than if you're throwing the ball down the field two years, four years, that's five right. years. Like if I need to retire, if I need that money, and so. You know, I, I worked, you know, some video editing jobs and stuff like that and was able to save up like three grand and able to kind of put some cash to be like, Caleb, what should I do with this? And you're like, you need to put it in the market and forget about it. Yep. And that's, that's great advice. But if you don't know the difference between like, like, are you just putting it in stocks? What's your percentage? And all that stuff. It's, it's scary. Right. Because I am a person who opened a TD Ameritrade account and lost $300 just That's right. in a day. That's right. Like, goodbye, money. Yeah. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, Wait go back, go yeah. back, go back. <laughs> and that's how I felt about it. So like sitting down with you and somebody who studies, you know, the products and stuff, right. um, it, it, it changed the way that I thought about handing you money sure. to say like, okay, there's, there's a game plan. And I think most people... You know, most people don't get that. And so now kind of bringing us up to speed is the most recent crash. Right. Like as soon as the market went down, I'm like, most people are like terrified. But like, isn't this the time to to get after it? It's immediately. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and it's, I think one of the hardest things to do and even the most professional 
um, most well-respected people in our business still will tell you that they don't know the timing of the market. They don't know what it's going to do. You can um, really research trends and watch uh, treasuries and, and different things that will maybe point you in a direction of what it might do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as far as actually in interest rates, but I mean, but as really knowing what it's going to do, time in the market is one of the hardest things there is to do. So most of my clients, um, you included, really practice dollar cost averaging. What is that? So dollar cost averaging is basically saying, listen, this is the amount that I can save on a monthly basis. And I'm going to put it in there. No matter if it's a down market, up market, it doesn't matter. And that is proven to be, proven to be still the, the best, um, course of action than any other market time. So just consistent saving. Consistent. Just like, being consistent. Don't try to beat the averages. Don't try to wait until the market's down. Just I'm the market. Every consistent. month. Just put money back in. That's right. Just being consistent and doing hmm. that. Okay. Um, and, and that has really been kind of the basis of what I try to do with everyone that I work with um, when it comes to building wealth. When we're, when we're in the growth phase. Right. So the growth phase, that's a lot what it looks like. Okay. Um, but you know, there are people out there that have hit some big wins, right? I mean, they have hit, uh, I think those are the ones that we hear about. It's almost like the lottery situation. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are, I mean, and there's, you know, like, Oh, I picked this stock and it blew up. And most people are like, I don't even know how you pick a stock. Yeah. I ran into a guy the other day, um, who is a very wealthy individual in middle Georgia. I saw him at a restaurant. This was before we were unable to go to restaurants. Sure. So this was at least three, I guess or, four it was weeks three ago. or four weeks ago. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, I ran into him. I said, hello, asked him how he was doing. Uh, he knows what I do. And I was asking him, he has computer pulled up. He was watching the stock market. At a restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't understand those people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, but, but when you have that much, I about to say that's how you know you got money in the market you know, when it's more important than dinner. That's right. Yeah, and like, it was need, to him for sure. Yeah. But he told me, you know, we started. Out, he was asking what I liked right now. What was I looking at? You know, things like that. And we started talking about that. And I'll get into that later. But um, I told him, or no, I asked him. I said, "Well, what do you like? You know, I'd like to hear from you because he does his own, and, and he's, uh, you know, very." Um, very headstrong in doing so, but he was also actually in this business and do okay, do so what I do. Gotcha. Before, so, so he kind of knows what the back end looks like. Yeah, he does. He does, and he's an older gentleman, and you know, has done very well. And um, anyway, but I I asked him. I was like, "What do you like?" Well, he bought Tesla uh, a few weeks back, and he just he had just sold it, and he had just bought it again. Well, before he sold it, or when he sold it. He was up one hundred seventeen thousand dollars, just off of that that stock. Yeah, right. So he had a great hit, and when I saw him, I thought about. Is it. he a day like, trader? He's a day trader. Yeah. Okay. So right. so, so people who, again for he, people who don't know what a day trader is like, is he a true day trader? Pretty true day okay. trader. <clears throat> I would say somewhat. He watches it. So he a day buys trader, it and he you know. So a day trader for people who don't know people. Uh, let's say that you come into some money. Let's say you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? And you're liquid at the end of the day, 
every single day, you are liquid, which means you have no money in the stock market at night. When the market opens at 9 a.m., you start buying the things that you want, and at 5 p.m., you're dumping everything, and you're going back liquid by that night. Yeah. So a day trader is somebody that, you know, those are the ones that you hear about. If somebody's day trading or he's a day trader, it means that they have a chunk of cash, whatever it is, 20000 to a million to whatever they have. In the morning, when, when the market opens at 9 a.m., they're buying all the things that they want. And then at 5 p.m. or whenever it happens, it might happen at 1 o'clock. If they think the stock has peaked at 1, they dump everything at 1. And they're just in the market and out of the market. There's, it's an influx of cash into the market, and then it comes out of the market. And it's, it's one of the things that makes the market so unpredictable. That's right. Is what, what, and that was kind of one of the things that hit for me was the reason the market works over time is because most people, you're banking on human nature, which is completely unpredictable. Right. So like somebody who is, you know, in charge of China, whatever the guy's name is, he can come out and make a decision. So how he sleeps tonight can change the way that he makes a decision and affects the Chinese economy and manufacturing, which dramatically changes the markets. So there's no way to predict exactly what's going to happen because it's driven by human nature. But one of the things that you can bank on is the fact that humans want to progress and so that the market over years, it will correct and it will fix and it is subject to some fickle human interaction. But over the course of 20, 30 years, you're going to see progress because the nature of humanity is wanting to progress. And that helped me kind of understand like, okay, there are corrections, there are ups and downs caused by you know, speculation or weird economic sanctions or disease and things like that. But at the end of the day, most people want to progress. Everybody who's locked up in their home right now who can't work wants to go to work. They right. want to make money. They want to spend money. They want to buy the pool. They want the new car. They want, the, they want it. And that's what drives the economy. Right. And that's never going to go away. And that, that helped me kind of understand the market will continue to drive. And one of the things that they said in the 20s was that the market cannot continue to just continually and continually increase. But the reality is, it has. Yeah, It absolutely has. If you look at what the market was at 1920, I mean, when Obama left office, it was at what, 20,000? Something around... The Dow. Yeah. yeah. Like the market was somewhere around 20. And then, and then all of a sudden, you know, 24 was unheard of. I think Trump hit 29 before Corona. And I say Trump, but I just mean like the economy under his presidency. Yep. Actually hit over 30. Did it hit over there? Yeah, so did. like it broke 30 and I'm like, that's absurd. Now people are like, well, it'll never go over 35 or 40. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. maybe not for 10 years. Right. Maybe not for 10 or 15 years, but maybe. but maybe in my lifetime it goes over 50. Right. And so if I got in at 19, if I got in at 18, then in 20 years, it's, it, it, it could be whatever. So that kind of changed it for me as far as that. And I don't want to like hijack your talking points no, or anything, no. but just to help listeners who are maybe like me in the sense that I don't study the stock market. I don't study investment strategies and things like that. But being able to realize that your time in the market is probably the most important thing. If you only have 10 years, it changes the financial products that someone like you, Caleb, are going to offer. Right. You're not going to offer a very risky strategy to somebody because you don't have that time in the market. Right. And so that 
that I think is probably one of the things that made me feel more at peace with the market sure. and more at peace with handing you hard earned dollars to right. be like, here's some money right. that I worked really hard to get. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, please don't lose it. And you're like, over 30 years, I won't. Right. There's, I won't. Yeah, and I, I think I try to, I really try to prepare clients for times that we are in now. Because if you've ever looked at any graph of the market in general and just what it's done, um, you would know that it there's a lot of V's in it, right? A lot sure. of ups and downs, troughs and, you know, tops of mountains. And, um, you know, knowing those things will really prepare you and help you to know that this is normal. It's not, you know, unnormal to for this to happen. Right. Like there are corrections, there are ups and downs, there That's are... That's right. It yeah. is... And, it, and it's influenced by many different things. You know, I mean, if you watched any of last year, I mean, Trump could, the president could uh, tweet something. And the market would react. And the market would react the next day immediately. I mean, he had that kind of control. It, it was really unreal to watch. I don't know if any other president has had that much control. Now, or at least just by... Saying yeah, that much social media to like tweet 120 characters and all of a sudden that's right. millions wow. or billions move. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly and I think right. that's the thing that Trillions. scares most people is like, I don't want my money wrapped up into something that a man can write 120 characters yeah. and dramatically change it. But for me, it, I'm, I'm okay with the idea that I'm banking on human ambition. Right. So like, yes, there are going to be tweets that make the make the market kind of go down. There are going to be sanctions sure. against China that I'm like, oh, maybe politically I feel one way, but economically and for my portfolio, I feel a different way. And it's um, it's almost like playing fantasy football at the yeah. sense where you're like, well, my favorite team is this team, but I have this running back on my fantasy league. I really need it to go well. But at the end of the day, you're banking on the fact that people are going to play football. Right. Right. Like you may have up, you may have some downs, but at the end of the day, what you're banking on is the fact that humans want to work. They want to buy things. They want to avail themselves of luxury things like whether it's cell phones or shoes or whatever, like people are going to drive the economy. Right. That helped me release the check into your hands. Sure. Like that, that conversation that you and I had about time in the market. Yep. You're bet you're banking on human nature. That's right. And that hasn't changed for however long you believe people have been around. That's right. And especially doing something like that early in life, it is the best thing you can do. So getting in soon. Yeah, getting in soon, just getting in at early ages. And even, um, you know, even if you have 10 years, you know, 10 years is still a large amount of time. Um, you know, it's not 30 or 40, but it is still a, a long time. And there's still a lot of opportunity. You and I have talked about this a little bit about the idea that if I have 10 years and I'm dumping money in and five and a half years in, you feel like this is a peak. Mm-hmm. We're going to go into a trough. You would start to back your client out of more risky investments and put them into something more stable that's not going to move. Yeah, and you can do that, especially if, you've, if you only have those 10 years. Right. right. So if, the, if that was it, if you're coming off of, uh, you know, you're coming up on retirement and you're getting ready for uh, what I call the income phase or the wealth distribution phase, where you need to like cash in on your savings. That's right. So and then you say, you know what? I've worked my whole life and I don't want to anymore. 
You know, there's a there's a lot of people that reach that point. It's funny, right? Uh, right. A lot of people. Well, they don't want to deal with the bullcrap of like jobs, especially with right new tech, like oh, new yeah. technology. Right. If you're like 65 and you've been doing the same job for 25, 30 years, and all yeah. of a sudden they're like, "Hey, we're going with tech," and you're like, "I don't want to do this." Our age, we say, you know what? I think I'd get bored. I'll probably work forever. Right. Right. Yeah. But then yeah. I talk to clients in their 60s all the time, and and. Uh, their ideas and their thoughts are totally different. It's not that you get bored. It's that you, you get tired of changing the mode of operation. I mean, you think, I think about it's that, but you know what else I think it is? I, what I really think it is, is I think they really start to understand what's important to them in life. Mm. Whatever that is. Yeah. No, and that's, I, that's a good point. Like and I think they family wanna, becomes more important. You start counting right. your years that you have left. Like, that's what right. do I want to do with this time? Yeah. How much time? That's exactly what it is. I, I really do feel that. And I've had those kind of, those tough conversations. That makes learning the new software that much harder. You're like, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Why? I want to see my grandkids. <laughs> that's right. Or whatever it is. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, so in saying those things, um, you know, when we look at time horizon, time horizon is very important going back to the original start of, you know, our conversation. I mean, how much time you have is your best friend, you know? So if you are new out there or if you're just trying to figure out what to do or, um, you know, if you have a 401k at work or whatever it is, don't panic. You know, I hope you listen to this and I hope you take a deep breath and you say, everything's going to be okay. This has happened before. Right. Um, and sleep well, you know? Really? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a, a prophet, and I don't. I can't predict, you know, exactly what's going to happen in every scenario, but I do believe that history repeats itself. Um, and unless this is just the absolute end of the world and we're all doomed, but... I mean, even saying that, it sounds crazy to me. Sure. At some point, that's right. But if it's, right. if we're doomed, it doesn't matter. Right. And if it's, if you're doomed, that's exactly right. So when why, it, why live a life full of fear? You know, have faith in what you're doing and why you do it. And It seems like the people that are in it on their own are the people that don't have a plan. Like, you need to know a lot to be out there doing it by yourself. But yeah. if, you're, if you're doing it with a financial advisor who's helping you understand that there are products available. Like if you had a hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, whatever it was, and you sat down with your investing app or your platform or whatever, and you're trying to pick the stocks, yeah, that's scary. Right. It's terrifying. And you could end up squandering a lot of a lot of good wealth and losing money and things like that. But if you have because as an individual, you don't have the you don't have the access to the financial products. You don't have the access to a mutual fund that is exclusively through some sort of company, right? Like right. for Northwestern Mutual, like you guys have, hey, Matt, you only have 10 years. Here's our 10-year investment. Yeah. And it slowly, like one of the things that you showed me was like every year it phases less and less risk. So it's not like there's, you know, 60% risk when you are two years out. Right. Like what happens is, you invest your $100,000, let's say, and in year one, you have a 40% risk or 20% risk, and I'm totally making up these numbers, but it's like, let's say you have a 30% risk that you could go down, but you have a 70% risk that it's going to go up. So they put that in there because they say, over 10 years, we're going to catch an up. 
and then at five years or you know three years in, it starts to fade down. Now you only have a 20% risk. Then at five years, it's a 15% risk. And then at seven years, it's a 10% risk. So the, the idea is the money is actually managed in a financial product versus you trying to pick stocks. The money is actually moved and allocated on your behalf to be most secure for you. Right. It's one of the things that I, I think is important for people who are my age, I'm 35, and people who are you know older but not sure what to do with their money. Like, It helped me understand that this is what financial advising is. These, there are products available to you as somebody who can sell these products that are not available to the individual who's sitting down with an Acorn account or a TD Ameritrade or you know, E-Trade account. That's hard and that's terrifying. And that's not something I would ever do again. Like it, it was, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not good at this. And I'm, I think I'm pretty smart, Yeah, but I have no idea what I'm doing when it comes to that. And I don't have time to learn. And it takes time. And that's the thing. I think everybody thinks that, um, you know, it's a, it's a crap shoot and we're all out there and you roll the dice and some get lucky and some don't, but that's not the case. Not at all. Um, you know, I think it takes, it takes planning. It takes behavioral coaching, you know, and I, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things that I do is coaching behaviors around money, which is nuts to think about. You're like, well, you're like, I'm a financial advisor, but I'm more of a people coach. But to I, be like, I don't really sell do. right now. I, I don't do. do it. That's exactly what you do. You coach habits and good habits. Yeah. Um, and, and when you do that, you end up a lot better off than if, you try to do it yourself and there, and the people that do it themselves in day trade, I'm all about it. You know, I mean, I really am. If, if that's something that you want to do and you can, you can mentally take that on, um, you know, and not lose your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Good. That's right. And look, I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, but when it comes to buying individual stocks, you are extremely risky in that. I just, you know, everyone should know Well, they're know much that. more volatile. They're Not only are they much more volatile, you just don't know the inner conversations that are going on at that particular company. We're not there. We don't really know. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's yeah, a great way to look at it right? in, in the sense that, like, let's say that you're at a party with 50 people and you're going to invest in how many of those people are going to be successful. If you walk in that room and you have to pick them, and you can, and you're like, okay, I think this person, maybe this person, maybe that person. You now have to keep up, keep track of everybody that you have handed money to, thinking they're going to be successful. Right. Versus, kind of what you do is to say, like, hey, I know everybody in this room. We've been watching everybody in this room for the last thirty years. Right. We know the trends of what's going on. We'll actually invest in half of this room that we think are going to be successful with your money. So that we've, if one of them actually fails, we're okay. You're not going to lose money. Right. We're we're gonna we're gonna move forward with it. And that that to me was the biggest change. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but to no, say it's like, true though. you know, people who like myself who don't know what to do with their money, right? You know, being able to hand it to somebody and say, okay, I'm actually diversified. And uh, there's an analogy of if you're an insurance company, and let's say that you insure school buses, <clears throat> and so all the school buses are parked in the same place and a tornado comes through town and destroys every single school bus in that parking lot. You're, you're host. Yeah. It's over game over. So right. what they do is 
that insurance company who insures it will underwrite with like eight other insurance companies. And so they'll get one insurance company to, to buy 10 and another insurance to buy the other 10, another insurance to buy the other 10, another insurance to buy the other 10 until all 50 are insured through the one company. Right. But they're actually mitigating the risk amongst five other companies. And that's kind of what a financial product does yep. is it stops you from losing everything on a cataclysmic event with one company. Yep. Like let's say Apple has some corruption. Yeah, I mean... And it collapses. You're not all in Apple. Right. Crazy story. Every, I say everyone. Not everyone has an, an iPhone, but a lot of people have iPhones, right? Sure. A lot of people have Androids, okay? But let's, let's focus on Apple and how great of a company they are. But let's also talk about their individual stock for a second. I mean, I have a story when it comes to that. So yeah. Steve Jobs, before he was um, the CEO... He had a large portion of ownership, obviously, in it, right? Um, when he had this, there was another man that was CEO, okay? And his large portion that he had... Talking about Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs. That he owned? Yep. So when Steve Jobs owned that, basically what happened was he was not very happy with the way the current CEO was doing business. Okay. okay, so if we dumb this down a little bit. So he owned a little over... Because didn't Steve Jobs start the company? He did, right. So, so he started, he wasn't the and CEO then he went public and sold a bunch of stock. So he owned right. some stock, but there was a different CEO at the company. That's right. So he was the majority owner, right? So he had the most votes when it comes to putting whoever he wanted gotcha. in certain places. But when a company goes public, the, the whole dynamic of the company will change. Right. So whether you were the founder or not... Uh, doesn't mean that you are always going to be the, right. the last decision. Right. So um, when you own stock in a company, you are technically an owner of that company. Right? So whether you're a minority or majority. Well, he was the majority. Well, he didn't like certain things that the current CEO was doing. Okay? And we don't necessarily know exactly what it was. and you know, But so what he did was he dumped all of his stock in one day. So he was the majority owner. Majority owner of a major. And dumped all the stock. Dumped it all. Guess what the stock price did of that? Collapsed? Tanked. Right? So he intentionally did that to make this guy look bad. So he made him look bad. Yeah, because the CEO is in charge of making sure that... Well, so once a company goes <laughs> public, what it basically means, and stop, correct me if I'm wrong, is... You know, you create a company that's doing really well. Once you go public, you're basically agreeing to let people buy in and own parts of your company. Then the most important thing is that the company be profitable. Once I say, yeah, you can have $1,000 of mine because I believe your company is going to grow, you better grow your company. That's right. And so Steve Jobs, who owned the majority because he started it, so they, he only sold whatever, 40%, whatever it was. Right. Once he dumped it, it made it look like, well, the original founder's getting out, and now the market's flooded well, with a bunch the of... The thing is, though, no one knew that he was the one that dumped a bunch of shares. Oh, they didn't even know it was his? Yeah, because you don't have to publicly disclose So that. he just literally like flooded the market with so, Apple shares. So what he did, so Gil Emilio was the Apple CEO, right? Okay. And his... In 1997, the stock hit a 12-year low. This was right after the tech boom, but 12-year low. Was this after he dumped his? 
Exactly. And so right after it was found out to be that it was partially caused by someone selling off one and a half million shares. (laughs) 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 Right. So Steve, so apparently he did something that didn't make Steve jobs happy. And so he did that and he influenced a a major company like Apple like that and then became the acting CEO. So he sold all of his stocks and then he did that. He basically brought up in the next boardroom meeting, uh, our stock price just hit a 12 year low. And I think it's attributed to this guy. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and put all the blame on him. And it, no one knew that he was no the one, one knew, that dumped that he him. dumped him. Oh, geez. So he influenced that whole company. Uh, another company, you know, that you could bring into this is Enron. A lot of people have heard about Enron. You know, there was many, many employees, I think it was 22,000 employees that owned Enron shares. Yeah. So there's a lot of companies out there that people work for that they're pretty much just reinvesting money that they get into that same company's stock. GE, things like that. Yeah, That's right. Big companies like that. So when Enron was basically found out to be a fraud. Cooking their books. Yeah. Cooking their books. All of these people lost everything that they thought they had. And like their stock went from, yeah. So one company is uh, basically the, the point of both of those stories is to show that investing in stocks can be very tricky and very, um, it's feast or famine. Yeah, yeah. Like you can do really well. You can do really well. For example, my, my uncle, he was with a small, or no, he's my cousin. Um, he, he did really well with a company. He worked with a electric company that was a local company in Alabama I think it was like golf tell or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he worked there for like 10 years from the time he graduated high school or whatever. And, and he just kept taking the stock option and he just kept buying stock, buying mm-hmm. stock, buying stock. And then I want to say like Southern link or bell South or something bought that company mm-hmm. and his stock doubled into the, the whatever the right. buying company. And so he made like $2 million. It worked out for him. something crazy. I don't, I'm making up these numbers, but right. it was, it was a seven figure. I heard right. was like family rumors to be like, Oh, so-and-so doing really well. <laughs> and, uh, and that was kind of how it worked. But those are the, it is feast or famine because someone like a Steve jobs can secretly list all of his stock for sale and tank one. Right. And so if you were like, Apple seems like a sure thing. It's like, until the CEO is diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> you, know, you can't see that coming. You never know. And that's the thing. So I think if any, listen, so it's better, I'm all about it's playing It's better to be in a financial product right. than it is to be in an individual If we're talking stock. about mitigating risk, yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of one of those things that if you were in charge of the 50 school buses and you had to pay if something went wrong, the best thing you can do is to get 10 insurance companies as opposed to just one. Because right. if one, you may do really well, but if something goes wrong, it goes really, really wrong. That's right. And if we knew which company out of the, the 10 would do well, then we would just go with that company. But then you're banking right. on human nature and you have no That's idea. Right. And you don't. And it's, it's not something that you can predict. But what we can predict is, is trends, right? And going off trends and just economic data and what has happened in the past. And I think if we do that, you know, um, just being in the market in general, 73% of the time, the market has seen positive gains since its inception. 73%. Mm-hmm. So 73% of the years that we've had a stock market, it has been positive growth. 73%. 73% of the time. So you're so almost yeah. three out of four years, every three out of four years, three of them are positive. I got you. Right. 
Yeah, so that that helps to like kind of ease uh, the 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 fear, and it really helps to understand because there are different. And I don't want to get all into that, but there are different products that you can do if you only have a certain amount of time. Like if I said, "Hey, Caleb, I want to be guaranteed not to lose any money," right. you'd be like, "Yeah, I can help you with that." Yep, it is, and, and there's plenty of things that you can do to do that. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and I think it's it is a case by case basis. It is not a because there's uh, like one size fits all. There's like annuities. So you could sit down with you and say like, hey, here's what I need. I have this much money, but I need it to last this long for this reasons. And right. you're like, okay, let's get a plan together. Right, exactly. And I think just having a plan and working with somebody that is uh, very fluent in, in just financial language in general. Because um, it is easy to pay a lot more taxes than necessary. Very much so. Yeah, that's one of those things. Taxes where- is... is- you know, especially when it comes to investing and saving for retirement, they will be your worst friend in retirement. Yeah. If you don't do it correctly. That's one of the crazy things to me is like, like, for example, if you have, let's say 150,000 or let's pick a big fat round number. Let's say you have $500,000 saved up in your Roth IRA, right? You've, you've maxed out your thing and you have 500,000 in your 401k. The payout difference is absurd after taxes hit your 401k yeah. because you're pre-taxed on a Roth. Right. So you're not paying on the post, you're paying on the pre, but it's, there's only so much that you can give. So if this is all brand new information, basically the gist is the government says you can only invest 6,500, 5,500, something 7, like 7,000. 7,000 uh, now? For catch-up contributions, 6,000 now for Okay, so 6,000 $6, so $6, a year you can invest into a Roth IRA, meaning that you the money that you put in you've already paid taxes on, and so you don't pay taxes on the money that you pull out. But a 401k and like even raw stocks, let's say you put that $6,000 into Apple stock and it doubles and you have $12,000. The tax rate on capital gains is 39%. It's something crazy. So even though you make 12, even though it's now $12,000, your $6,000 has turned into 12, your take home is like three grand maybe. Like it's, it's, it cuts it almost in half. So having somebody who has a CPA background or financial advising background can help you say, Hey, if this is what you're investing, here's really where you need to be doing it and how you need to be doing it. And here's the financial products available to help you not pay out the butt in some taxes later in life, because this, this is going to hit you hard. That's right. Yeah. And really when it comes to working with someone, just make sure they're a fiduciary. I mean, that's the biggest thing that you what can is that? ask for. So, so a fiduciary is just someone that is legally obligated to offer nothing but advice that is in the best interest of the client. So there is a law that says that you have to provide me the best advice for my personal gain. That's exactly right. So that's why we have to ask the questions we ask. That's why we had to go through the multiple steps that we had to go through to even get you established. Sure. Um, so those those key things are what really gives people i think a sense of um calmness about their plan and just a sense of uh, confidence in their plan um is making sure that you're working with somebody that they know has to provide those things right so it's like you're not a used car salesman of stocks yeah i mean that or or we've all seen like the wolf of wall street boiler room things of like that where it's like Oh God! He's a broker. Yeah, so he's a broker. He is a he's a salesman. He he has no. I got the hottest stock. No obligation to. That's right. No obligation to offer any kind of advice 
None. It so like basically the difference between a broker and a financial advisor, a broker has a bunch of like stocks that maybe they get super incentives to sell you. Right. So like every time I sell a hundred shares of this company, they give me a thousand bucks. So I just have to sell this many. So no matter what it looks like, that's the one he's pushing versus a fiduciary who is a financial advisor like yourself. You actually have to provide information that is for the betterment of the client. You're not getting a kickback on these stock sales or you're not getting a kickback to say like, well, it's probably the best idea to put him in this portfolio, but I'm going to put him over there because that person is paying me this. That's right. Yeah. So that doesn't happen. So for us, it's, it's not about that. It's more about, um, you know, what fits this client's personality, what fits this client's, uh, ultimate wants needs. Um, you know, what exactly are we planning for? You know, and, and that's the thing, that's the difference in having a plan, having, you know, all of those things just adds to your portfolio. And I guarantee you will see a, a massive difference in, um, your rate of return if you work with someone that does that. And, and I think that's what my practice tries to do. Um, and I think there's a, you know, there's a good amount of people that that is their focus. And I, I really do. I think there are some really good hearted people in our industry. Uh, but then, uh, you know, unfortunately there are some, some people who don't have that kind of heart and, it's, it's and almost, don't care. Yeah. It's almost like those, those types of people though, that are the way, and we might make a little bit less than those people that you probably do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think about this, like you think about the NBA, right? There's only so many superstars, but everybody else is doing pretty well. Right. And so like, I think about that in, in terms of like the financial market, like you might not be LeBron James, you might not be the Kobe Bryant's, you might not be Michael Jordan, you might not be, you know, you might not even be Dominique Wilkins or Sean Kemp or Gary Payton. You might just be Detlef Shrimp. You know, you might be one of those players that like you didn't have some crazy risky stock. You were never the MVP. You never had some huge blow up moment, but you did pretty well. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of like my mindset is, you know, if I can be in the market, I don't need to be a Bill Gates. I don't need to be a Mark Zuckerberg. If Matt Bell can just at the age of 60 have been in for 30 years. Yeah. You know, at the age of 62, be able to say, like, you know what, I, I have been in the market. And maybe at 59, we're at an all-time high. And I'm like... But you own some Microsoft and some Facebook. So, I mean... That's true. So, I'm in there with see, them. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. But the reality, as far as, like, numbers, like I, I look at it, I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, I don't have to be the MVP of the market. I just have to be in the NBA. That's right. Right? And so, like, getting into the stock market, like, you provide a financial tool for me, someone like me who doesn't know what to do, doesn't know what to invest, and doesn't have time... And it's terrified to do it. I had, I had lots, I say lots of money. I had all of my money, it wasn't a lot, sitting in a, a savings account because I was like, I don't know what to do with it. But finally having somebody say like, hey, you can get in the game and as long as your horizon right now is 30 years, 25 years, like just get in. Right. And I, I think that's something that I've, I've kind of been trying to help coach people towards is just to say like, hey, look, if you have time, the market is your friend. If you have five years, yeah, you are subject to market trends at that time. Like you do need to time it right because let's say I wanted to, people who are needing to uh, retire this spring, yeah, like coronavirus couldn't happen at a worse time for people who were trying to cash out all their stocks as of June, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm gonna sell all my stocks in June. Like you better not, right? Like, you better not. But it's like, 
if they would have sold in the fall, they'd be golden. You know, and that that's kind of the thing is getting the gist of that there are financial products, there are mutual funds available to people that mitigate the risk yep. over time. That's right. It's probably the, if I had a goal for this conversation, it would yeah. just be people who can understand that there's a difference between buying stocks and buying a financial product yep. that's going to help eliminate a lot of the risk that you would take on your own. But they need to talk to somebody like you who is a fiduciary mm-hmm. who says, Hey, I am legally obligated to do the thing that's in your best interest. That's right. And it's like, I think people are terrified that like there's used car salesmen and they're going to sell me stocks. Like, psh, no, thank you. Like right. I'll lose my own money. Thanks. That's right. And so that, that's a, that's probably the biggest challenge to, to yeah. get people to even, you know, go in that direction. Yeah. And I think everybody, you know, especially, uh, you know, fear is, is not your best friend. Fear is the absolute probably worst basis to make a decision on. Um, and I, I think a lot of people are scared right now. I think a lot of people are very fearful. They don't know what's going to happen. Could this get worse? Could this, is it going to get better? When will it get better? Um, but I, I would say to those people, if, and especially, you know, not everyone is doing extremely well right now. People are losing, you know, people have lost some jobs. Um, you know, I have personal friends that are affected. Well, if you look this. at your portfolio, you're probably getting murdered yeah yeah and a lot of people aren't doing especially well in that um you know but i think that that presents a unique opportunity um and if we look back at just trends if we look back at the performance of when a macro or epidemic event has happened Mm -hmm. right if we just look back at that uh look at black monday in 1987 right Mm -hmm. one of the worst days ever Everybody, that's why it's called Black Monday. It was, it was awful, right? Um, I think most people don't know about it. You yeah. know, like, why would I? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Research it. But, that, what, but I get, of, like it's a thing. Yeah, look it up. Look up what Black Monday was and look up what happened. But if you were to just put in money when it happened right after. Um, like if you got in on Black by, Monday? Or, or just right after, just period. Just what happened after that. So there was a trough for, you know, a few months, right? It was really bad. It went down hard. Mm-hmm. But then in the years after that, for 13 years later, 13 years later, that went up almost 600%. Yeah. Your investment went up 600%. Now, So I mean, if you had gotten in the week of Black Monday, like if, if like the Monday in 1987, if you had bought all, like put all your 50000 or $20,000 you had saved up, into the stock market. Just you, an S&P 500. 13 right? years later, you'd be up 600%. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't it? I mean, so, you know. It's so crazy that the, the concept is so easy, right? Like, buy low, <laughs> sell high. Like, that's all you need to know. But when it's low, everyone's like, get out, get out, get out. Like, yeah. right? Like, no, that's when you get in. That's right. And it's especially young people. One of the things that on the podcast I was listening to, he was like, this market is perfect for people in their 30s who have a little bit of money that don't know what to do, it's now time to get in. This market is terrible for people who are in their 60s or 70s who need to cash out right now. Like um, one of the best Warren Buffett quotes that I love is they asked him in 2018, 19, they asked him, they said, um, how much money did you lose in the 2008 financial crisis, like when the stock market crashed? And his answer was zero. I didn't have to sell anything. So the answer is, 
if you don't have to sell your stock, that's right. It's okay. A market correction is not a big deal. That's right. Like, yes, it's, it's almost like monopoly money at that point. Like, Oh, the market's down. I lost $4,000 or this much money. And it's like, no, you didn't not unless yet. you sell. Yeah. If you sell it, then you lost it. Then you lost it. That's right. And because so it's, it's like at the point that you sell, that is your unrealized or realized gain or loss. Right. And so it's like if you have time in the market, like stop trying to time the market That's right. and just get in. That's right. Because you do need to time the market when you're retiring. Right. But you don't need to time it when you're investing. That's probably the, my biggest. Other, and, and, and I would even. That, that was my point. biggest takeaway when our, our original conversation yeah. was like. I did my job. Get in. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And once, once you start and you don't look at it, it becomes a practice of, okay, I, I invest. Yeah. That's the thing I do. And the good thing is too, you also have another product that is going to allow you to be in the market for even longer than you typically would. Right. Um, you know, just your insurance product that you own. Oh, my life insurance. Your life insurance product is going to be crucial when we get down to it later in life. Yeah. Uh, it is going to be something that is going to, you know, it. we don't know what it's going to provide to you in more I, retirement income, but. Because I did not do term and I didn't do whole life. You guys have a specific product that's kind of like, it's not a hybrid, but it kind of is. And it's it, the point, of, I guess the best conversation is like, you really don't know what all is available to people. And I think I pay. 150 a month, 160 yeah. maybe, um, for for a life insurance policy, but it's also an investment. It's not just a life insurance. They have really cool products, and I think that's the biggest takeaway for me was I'm not out there trying to pick stocks. I'm buying financial tools, and people who are way smarter than me and even smarter than you are managing these portfolios with a fiduciary obligation to say, I need to do... You know, do people make mistakes? Sure. Yeah. But one of the things is you look at Northwestern Mutual's portfolio over the course of 30 years, it's it's up. Oh, even better. I mean, it's... It's killer. It's, it's killer. It's, it's world class. Northwestern Mutual is... Uh, there's no company out there like it. I mean, it's probably, especially when it comes to insurance products. It, it's, it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, um, the best ratings in the world. Yeah. The number one company in the world. Um, and, and consistently the number one company in the world. And, and I think um, having that strength and, and having that, most of our clients, you know, we have a 96% uh, client retention rate. Jeez. So if you start with us, typically you finish with us. And, and uh, you know, and I think that just shows really how, how good of a job the company is doing in preparing their clients and, and, you know, advisors that are contracted to them are doing in preparing their clients for these kinds of things, because now we have a, a, a whole different tool that is going to help us weather these storms even better. Right. Sure. And, and I sure. think, uh, and that's, and that's how you're positioned and that's how, you know, pretty much all of my, my clients are positioned. And, um, you know, I, I think it is, it is insurmountable, um, the difference that it makes in, in, in being in your plan. So, yeah, that's good, man. I, I think that that's one of the, that's one of the things that helps me sleep at night is knowing you're in a position to where, yes, your money's going to move up and down, but you don't need it right now. Yeah. That's money that you have, you've allocated to the market. 
chalk it up to the game. That's right. It's going to move a little bit. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. You're going to have times where you're like, oh my God, my portfolio is killing it. And you're going to have times where like, oh, I don't even want to look at it right now because, but the reality is it's where it needs to be. And when that time comes for you to need it, you'll start moving it slowly. 10 years before you need it, you'll start allocating it differently. Right. Like you'll have somebody who is obligated in your best interest to do the right thing and help you with your money to make it last. If you're listening to this and you're, you're trying to figure out what to do with your money, what would you say? I mean, do people get in contact with you? Do they email? Do they call? What do they do? Yeah. Um, reach out. I mean, however, you know, whether that's through bill house chats or you can always, no, don't reach out to me. I will never don't get, look out, I will yeah, never get you to the right do, spot. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will whoa, not, whoa. I won't check we'll that cut email. That out. We'll cut that out. <laughs> I won't check we that edit email. That, please? Yeah. Uh, well, how do they get in touch with you? I mean, what's the best uh, way to do it? Probably the best way to do it is just, you can Google my name, Caleb Wilds. Um, my website will come up. Um, you can see where my office is. It'll have contact numbers. You can get a hold of my assistant. So if we Google, if somebody Googled Caleb C A L E B Wilds W I L D S yep. and Northwestern Mutual, so yep. they just did like Caleb Wilds Northwestern it, it Mutual. To, you can just do my name. It, it'll come up immediately. You got the organic search like that. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if not, just look up Caleb Wilds. Yeah, yeah. And that is C A L E B W I L D S at North like. He's at Northwestern Mutual, but just do that in the search bar. You should find him. That's right. My website will come up, emails, um, office, phone line. So, so if I only had like, I know this isn't your ideal client, right? But if like, if I only had, hey, I can save $200 a month, $100 a month, it still yeah. should meet with you. Yeah, I would start somewhere for sure. Yeah. Yep. And, and if you have a, or if you say, oh, I've got everything through my work. Or let's say like. A let's lo- audit it. Let's look at it. A loved one just died, right? Like let's, let's say my, my father just died and now there's right. a chunk of life insurance or whatever he had an annuity through his job or pension you can help people navigate that that's right yeah i mean pretty much anything whether that is uh you know caring for a loved one even who is you know still alive that's trying to figure out what's next or you know whatever it is um you know at any stage in life we can help with financially so um you know the majority of my time is spent with um you know, business owners, individuals like that, and really doing meaningful planning when it comes to them and their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, but on an individual basis, I'm more than happy to to get someone started, help them, um, you know, in any way I can, especially in the community. You know, I mean, middle Georgia has a, a really special place in my heart. And if Shout any, out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, and really all parts of the state, you know, but um, – you know, we have clients all over the Southeast and I think if anything, we can, um, you know, we can find some time. We can definitely find a slot for you, especially uh, over Skype these days and Zoom, oh, yeah, yeah, Zoom yeah. meetings. Uh, we're doing, you know, some of those, um, and doing a lot of phone calls. So, um, you know, no doubt I will find the time to carve out whether it's at this time of night or, you know, early sure. in the morning. So, man, I can't, I really can't say like, thank you enough for our, your super matter of fact. So if you're somebody looking for a matter of fact, person that's just going to tell you like, Hey, here's what the data information is. I can't tell you what the right decision is, but I can tell you this is what the market trend is. And here's what I do. Yeah. That means a lot to me to say like, Hey man, like where's your money? Yeah. Where are you doing this? And you're like, well, I'm this age, so I'm doing this. And it, right. it helps me kind of gather like where, where that's at. But I do have a, a very personal question for you. You ready? Oh yeah. Dun, dun, dun. What's the dumbest financial decision or thing that you have ever purchased? Ooh. Yeah, the wor- the biggest waste of money you've ever had. 
Ooh. Alcohol doesn't count. Nah, that wouldn't be it by any means. Dumbest financial purchase. It would probably be gambling. <laughs> <laughs> this dude can't pick a winner. <laughs> it would be gambling for sure. Like gambling, like Vegas style gambling? Yeah, definitely, man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've had great... These dude's addicted to the game. Oh, man, I've had great days out there, but I've had bad days, you know? And when I think about it, I was like... What's the biggest amount of money you've ever seen leave your hand? Like, what's the most you've ever lost in a day? I don't know if I want to say. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? I don't want to. (laughs) I'll tell you off... Oh man, people are wondering. People want to know. It's not a lot though. I mean, I know a lot of people. Doesn't matter if it's a lot. The most I've ever lost was twenty. Oh, dollars. Oh yeah, we're yep, we're we're above that. Yeah, for sure. Are you six thousand? God. God. (laughs) Yeah, I I I would never mentally recover from that. (laughs) I tell you, the dumbest decision I ever made was buying a brand new motorcycle. It was a Triumph Explorer. Uh, It was eighteen thousand dollars. I finally when you bought it, I loved it. And it was beautiful, but it started breaking down, and they wanted to fight me on it. I ended up losing, losing more than way more than six grand. I ended up losing all kinds of money on that end of that deal just because anytime a company like starts fighting you with like litigation from a New York firm, yeah. you're like, oh shoot, yeah. this ain't good. Like Never. me and my little letters, I'm like, hey, yeah. <laughs> they're like, yeah, oh, I'm just gonna ignore you. Yeah, that was my biggest mistake. But uh, yeah, man, that's um, that's crazy. I want to ask you one more question. Yep. Um, one of my buddies, he's a classic thinker, and here's what he said. I told him I was going to meet with a financial advisor, dude. And he said, I do have a question. Maybe he'll have an opinion. Maybe not. Oh, beautiful. But he said, with the recent infusion of trillions of dollars into the financial markets and the banks, um, how worried are you about the the possibility of hyperinflation? And what do you think is the best way to safeguard our money against it? That's question one. The second one is, what do you you think about cryptocurrency? Okay. And so let's go with the first one. With the recent infusion of trillions of dollars into the financial market from the government and the infusion of money into the banks, how worried are you about hyperinflation? And what do you think is the best safeguard to to safeguard our money against hyperinflation? Yeah, just, I mean, if I were to give a prediction of of what's going to, what's to come in the next few weeks or, or next few months, whatever it is. I think the prediction is this. I think we're going to see um, an uptick in the market for a little bit, just for a little while. I think, you know, the stimulus package is, is rolling out. Um, they're agreeing to even more, even more aid, um, not only for individuals, but for businesses. Um, and I think if they accept the applications that are coming in, um, that money has to eventually come from somewhere. And we're trying to figure out where it's coming from. Typically, what we see where we think it's going to come from is from taxes. So we moved, you know, um, the deadline to file taxes out to July 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they did that, I feel like they're going to try to basically take away from what you would have gotten in April on your tax return if you were owed money. Um I think a lot of it's going to come from there. Um, Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I I do. And then, but as far as where the rest of the money is coming from, um, you know, the government has plenty of money that is stashed away. Yes, we are in, and people say, well, why are we in such debt? Why do we owe so much money? Well, uh, that is the government's way of using debt to its advantage. And, And it is a very high number. Um, 
but in a lot that of ways, that stuff goes so far over my head because, <laughs> like, I know that Elizabeth Warren has an eternal debt theory that you can basically float debt yeah. forever, yeah. and that nobody can call on it because at the end of the day, China needs us to buy manufacturing. So if That's we're right. in debt to them, and they say you have to pay us, and we say no, and they stop selling us things, their economy collapses because we're not buying things. So mm-hmm. like this idea of debt. And all like it. Unfortunately, the world is kind of interdependent on each other. Yeah, and that's what was her point. So like the that whole thing. But anyways, I, let's see if there if we get a specific question or answer this question. Like, what yeah. would you do? Is there any financial safe haven or anything that you would feel would safeguard us away from hyperinflation? I mean, is it gold? Is it precious metals? I know those are probably at an all time uh, high right now. Yeah, but yeah, I mean utilities probably. Uh, okay. You know, so utilities are kind of those kind of consistent, um, you know, keep up with inflation type. Gotcha. Because uh, everybody needs them. Yeah. I mean, you just have to. It's just the essentials. Those things are, are, that's what I would say to that. But as far as just, you know, do we expect some kind of hyperinflation to come in the next few months? Yes. Do we expect it to maybe go down a little bit more? Yes. Do I expect it to go down more than it already has, like to the absolute bottom that we've already reached of that? You, you mean know. to tank the market? Yeah. So if the market, will it, will it go down further than it did, um, you know, at its absolute lowest? Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't believe it will. Um, I think we'll see a little, like I said, I think this is a, this is the hyperinflation. This is the reaction to the stimulus. Gotcha. Um, and then after that, I think that it's going to, go down a little bit more because after we kind of get over that and we're like, yeah, but unemployment is but where are we eight at, and a half percent. Yeah, where are we at now? Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, and then we, you know, our quarterly financials come out. We look at some companies and everybody's like, uh, I don't know. They're not looking too good. Uh, so you think we'll, we'll see, see a, a reaction. You to think that. we'll see an uptick and then maybe a correction. It'll drop a little bit and then that's start right. working its way back up. Yeah, I really do. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. So you think your safe haven for hyperinflation is maybe either utilities or longevity? Yeah, utilities, definitely longevity. You know, I mean, not worrying about the now. If you're trying to make money now in the market, then it's probably an issue for you. Yeah, it could be an issue for sure. Um, but you know, there's plenty of people that are making money in the market. Um, you know, I'm, I owned some MGM for a little bit uh, when it. I feel like whoever created Zoom went down. Whoever created Zoom and Microsoft Teams has got to be making bank because everybody's having to go remote now. Work on that. Here's one more yeah, question for yep, you. Yep, for sure. <clears throat> do you feel that we're at the end of this financial collapse or at the start of a recovery process? Or do you think there's? I kind of answered that a little bit. You feel sure. like you feel like we've already seen the bottom. I do. Yeah, I really do. I think we've seen the. I think that the bottom was reached. I do think that. I think that every the fear-based sell-off, I believe, has happened. We might experience a little bit more of one, but I think... No more big collapses? That's right. Well, I'm not going to say that. I just think that it's not going to be... It's not going to collapse lower than it already has. I think we've already seen the reaction to the absolute worst possible scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, you know, I heard the, the governor of New York City... Uh, I'm sorry, not the governor, the... Yeah, the governor of New York. I guess I heard him yeah. speak today. Um, not the city, but the state. Anyway, but he was talking about Dude, the governor, the mayor, whichever one. Like, I, I Cuomo's <laughs> one, and then there's a governor. I don't know that he gets the. I don't know. Shoot, I don't know. One yeah. of them, one of those guys. They were talking. That's right. So they were talking this morning, and the the data that I kind of collected from that was, for one, as far as the virus goes, and and where we're at with that. 
Um, pulling up my, my notes right here. Here we go. So, if anything, the three-day average hospital, hospitalization rate in New York City is down. So there are less people being hospitalized. So there's some reason for the, optimism. There's some reason for optimism. That's exactly right. Now, some people would argue, yeah, but uh, yesterday the or the death toll went up. Sure. Exactly right. That's that's expected. So it, you know, slightly ticks up, but we're seeing less people being hospitalized, which is good. Um, you know, so you feel like the but they're also projecting the big wave of fear. Like there were models that came out that were like two million people will die, and now that same model that said two million people will die is down to eighty two thousand, down from one hundred forty thousand last week yeah. to ninety thousand on Monday, and then revised today, which is a Tuesday. Yeah, that's correct. To uh, eighty-two thousand. So they're saying like it's the news is not getting worse; it's getting better. And I think that the markets seem to be responding to that. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with what the markets are going to do. So and that's why you think we've kind of so already seen reactive to the virus. It's crazy. You can't really talk about one without the other. Um, well, because one of the things at, that you in learn these times is that the market is humanity. Yeah. It's us thinking and talking and what we spend our money on and what we're afraid to do and what we will do. And that's right. It's like you know, bad news scares us. And so we, we, yeah. we hold on to our money and stuff like that. And they're also projecting just in the state of New York, you know, um, they're projected to reach the plateau this month, which yeah, is good. I think it's like in next week. Yeah. It's, it's coming up be, really quick. Yeah. That's exactly right. So that, uh, you know, the change in daily ICU admissions is down, which is good. You yeah. Know, so, so all of that is probably attributed to, um, you think we've hit what the, low. the market is? I do. I really. I mean, okay. I do. I, you know, it's hard to say. <laughs> no one can really know the. Mine answer. is some sort of like crazy, like oh, it's actually this, or it's airborne, and we're all gonna die. Like, I mean, nobody can see that coming. But based on I the think, information you're seeing, you feel like yeah, based on all the we're media, starting a recovery. I think we are, or we are at I least in the next do. two weeks. Yeah, I think we're. I think we are starting a recovery. I don't think. I don't think necessarily that, oh, we're going to see nothing but positive days and, you know, from right. here on out by any means. And I don't think an, we're even close to being out of this epidemic by any or pandemic by any means either. Okay. Um, but I do think that if you just look up, look at the data, the data says that this social distancing thing might actually be working. Um, sure. You know, and, and it was huge. And, and I, you know, I, it's, it's such a, you know, a touchy topic and, and people have lost their lives and people have lost loved ones and, sure. and you know, and I hate it for them. Um, you know, and I just hope we can get out of it and, and get back to normal life and get back to producing and, and doing the things that, that Americans be, do. That seems to be the hardest question to, to try to figure out is, you know, but also, the economy and livelihoods versus lives, yeah. like livelihood versus life. And it's, that's such a, that's been the, and that's exactly what the, um, I guess the turmoil was in, in decisions being made. Right. Right. It was, yeah, but if we do this, what's going to happen? What, what happens if and I if tell we every American it, what, or what every happens? person, a part of this state, right. What happens? And then what happens if we don't? And then they kind of tested it out for a little bit of, well, I don't know, maybe we can still go to work and right. just practice that. No, that's not going to work. Right. So then they, you know, went to this, but I'll tell you something else, you know, that I think about that. I think it's going to change the way people work for a long time. I think there's a lot of companies out there who are like, Hey, 
we don't need this much office space. We don't need this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you're gonna whole, I think you're gonna see a sell off in real estate is what I really I'm seriously commercial real estate, I think is gonna boom here in a little bit. I mean Really? I, you think yeah, it'll be like Well as we, far as for for well, I say boom. It, it's not gonna be a buyer's market necessarily. I right. think you know, uh, but um, you think a lot of people are going to be maybe downsizing saying like, Hey, I don't need yeah. as much room as I thought I needed. I really do. Cause Carol in accounting can work from home. That's right. I really do. And then I think there, you know, who knows what other companies will do, but, um, I think that's, there's going to be a large, difference. it's changed the way that we, I mean, that, that we work and yeah. I mean, it's, it's the things that you were like, Oh, we'll never No, We can't do that from home. And now it's like, you have to. And once you start doing it, you're like, oh, I guess we could. I could. I guess I could. Yeah. It, no, it works. Yeah. And if you can keep revenues the same or better. Uh, and who, who doesn't like to work from home at least two or one or two, three Everybody days I talk to loves it. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't have to wear pants. Yeah. I can attend a Zoom meeting without <laughs> pants on. <laughs> yeah. And it's going on for sure. Of course I mean? it is. Like, uh, people chilling on the couch, you know, they're like, you're like, are you working or are you watching Netflix? And they're like, well, both. That's right, but it's like, yeah, it, it has. It has some people that do. It has dramatically changed it. So, I'll tell you, for me, I mean, I I sit there. So typically, I go and you know visit clients, and I get on the road a little bit more, and I'm in their office or in their right. in their. Uh, well, when you're exchanging wherever. a lot of money, you want to see that dude. That's right, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I love face to face, and it's the best thing for me. And I just like seeing people in their own element too. I mm-hmm. like that. I like seeing their business and what it works or, or their practice or whatever it is, and uh, you know. But for me, even then, though, I mean, I would have to say, I think my knowledge of what all's going on in the world is is steadily increasing. I listen to XM Radio when I'm on the road. You know, sure. I, I listen to you know, there's certain market analysts and people that I listen to on a, on a daily basis. But man, it, it's all I do now. When I'm waiting on the next call or I'm uh, waiting studying, on the next yeah. meeting, is studying. That's, That's one of the things that impressed me and, and made me feel confident about putting money with you is the fact that you. You're constantly wanting to learn, and constantly. Um, I would I would say to anybody listening who's who's on the fence with that would just be you know find somebody that you like, somebody that you trust, and if you don't know somebody, you know start talking to a financial advisor and somebody who who does ask if they're a fiduciary. Yeah. Um, ask you know now that you've heard that term and it's it's a funny term, but it's the idea that they have to do things on your best interest. Yeah. Did they go through a compliance department when they submitted? every application or every account that yeah they, exactly that See, those, are, those are all things that you know that like <laughs> yeah, the average like, person's like uh how does this work i have somebody i mean every time we move you know chunks of money or whatever it is or we start something new um whether that be an insurance plan or an investment program um you know it, it goes it sees a lot of different desks and, and supervisors and people that look through it even though i'm contracted to them but they just want to because it's our name you know, it, sure. it's, it's their name. It's sure. Uh, so it's super important to us on, you know, the, the recommendations that we make and the things that we do are, you know, looked at by CPAs and lawyers. And what's your best piece of financial advice right now that you could give people with this, with the market currently today is the day that we're having this conversation. It is April 7th. Oh, well, um, I guess for new, you know, let's, let's kind of, cause everybody's different. So I can't really give one certain piece of information for every individual out that's there. even a good answer right there to be like hey I, I need to talk to you about what your goals are yeah if you have a five-year window if you have a 10-year 30-year whatever and it's funny i mean because i've talked to people that have businesses that are worth you know millions and then and i mean multi multi millions and then i've talked to people that are you know just now started just got graduated from law that's school. me 
That's or, me. I'm or, just starting. Oh no, you're not. You're not even that because think about this. I, I mean, I know there's people that just got out of law school that are starting with three hundred thousand dollars in debt. They're oh, in the no. whole three hundred. So you're like, we got to work a game plan here. Hang on a second. Yeah, yeah, we've got a big, you know. So, you know, just remember that. I mean, there's, you know, there's different situations and different game plans for for different people. So, you know. So your biggest financial advice would be come talk to me. Yeah, probably because it's hard for me to give a one size fits all. That's probably the right answer, though. I mean, if I think about it, I'm like, you know, like you're not trying it's to tough. pick a hot hot stock. You're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. There it's are hard. hot there are hot stocks and there are cold stocks, but the there reality are. is I need a plan for you. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and think, I think that's what most people want, though. It's funny, you know. I'm not trying to say that I'm a guru by any means, but I did I did have a meeting, I guess, about two weeks ago. Uh, I was meeting with a, a doctor, and I was sitting in that meeting, and I had you know prepared everything. I had a you know full investment proposal, full insurance proposal, everything was ready. Um, and the actual, so the the collection and the portfolio that I designed, customized for this guy, it included some of these companies that just rolled out all these coronavirus tests and some, oh, some nice. things that are hitting, you know. And I was like, yeah, uh, you know. And I haven't called him back yet, and I haven't said. Did he sign up? Well, he he was like, yeah. He's like, I like this a lot. He did. He was like, I think this is really good. He's like, I just think this is gonna drag on a little bit longer. And he's like, I just want to wait and see what happens it just happened yeah boom all of a sudden it's like, well this company already just jumped 17 percent. so uh in two weeks you know whatever it is so uh, that was kind of like when the the medical marijuana thing is like such a there's so many people waiting with like you know entrepreneurial capital right just waiting to see like as soon as that legislation passes there is oh, yeah. like 16 companies waiting to Plenty. you know, partner with these farmers. And so it is one of those things where you can drag your feet on certain things, but that's why knowing somebody that yeah. designs a portfolio is important. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse on that. No, that's all good. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I think it's a, it's a good thing. And for most people, like no matter where you're starting, it's, it's a good thing to, to know somebody in the industry and the beauty of you and Northwestern mutual is you don't have to have a best friend in the industry. If they have an obligation for your best interest, yep. you're not dealing with a, a used car salesman at a brokerage firm. Yep. You're dealing with somebody who's saying, Hey, let's get you a plan. Right. And everybody needs a financial plan. You, yep. need, a, you need a plan for how you're going to do it. And whether that's a hundred dollars a month, whether it's less, whether it's more, whether you came into a chunk of inheritance, whether you don't have a dollar to your name, you need a plan. Yeah. And um, you can have peace of mind by meeting with somebody who knows got your best interest at heart. Yeah. Another thing I'd say, just just a real quick ad, as far as used car salesmen go, <laughs> I know a few used car salesmen, and there are good ones and bad ones out there, just so you know. So, oh, yeah, your best you friends know, are used car salesmen. <laughs> I have a few of them out there. So I just want to make sure that we, you know, they are, there's some good dudes that do it the right way and tell you exactly, hey, listen, this is what's going on. What's his name? Uh-huh. Kyle? Yeah, yeah. So Sorry, Kyle. Kyle. Well, just all of them. I mean, you know. <laughs> He's one of, I mean, just, you know, his whole family, really. I mean, uh, Vito and Thomas and all them. But, you know. It, so, so there are some good ones. Sorry, sorry to throw used cars. It, it's like, I, just, I feel like I had to do that just morally. I had to say something there. But, you know. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yep. Enjoyed it. All right, everybody. If you... If you don't have a plan for your finances, there's a way to do it. You don't necessarily have to call Caleb, but if you want to, you can. 
Caleb Wild, C-A-L-E-B-W-I-L-D-S at Northwestern Mutual. You guys take it easy, stay safe, and socially distance yourselves, and we will catch you next time.